You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands podcast brought to you by Odyssey Sports, brought to you by 94WIP. Kyle, I think I'm going to officially designate, I feel like this is our first one. This is a victory pod. This is a Sunday morning victory pod, a time for people to feel good. And as you put it, man, we were texting about it last night. We were talking about a little before the show. Good day for team optimism. I'm an optimistic guy in general, but this is a time where if you've been optimistic, if you sat through this team when they lost to the Celtics, if you sat through, you know, the ugly loss to the Mavs, the loss to the Heat, last night was a time to feel good for Sixers fans. And to me, this is why it matters when they win these games. Like we did the post-game Celtics pod and you felt better about it than I did. And we debated, you know, encouraging, not encouraging, whatever. It matters when they win. Like I saw videos of Embiid uh, walking through the hallway after the game last night, and you, he's got a huge smile on his face. Uh, George Niang finally hit a shot, so you know why he's happy. But I really thought last night, man, last night was such a big win for this team. They needed it. Harden needed that performance. Embiid needed that performance. And the fans needed it. Last night was a fun game, and finally it was a fun game where at the end the Sixers made the plays to win the game. I just got to say, man, I was right, and everyone else was wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I might not put my card <laughs> until the playoffs, but yeah. That's yeah, I, I mean, no. Uh, look, again, I keep saying this. None of the none of what has happened this year means that the Sixers are going to get it done in the playoffs, right? Like, this, just because they beat Milwaukee in early March or they beat Denver in a primetime – or not a primetime, a Saturday ABC game. Primetime, yeah. They have these ABC nice comebacks. Primetime. None of this stuff means that they're going to win the title or that they're going to even get out of the second round. But I think if you watch this team and have watched this team consistently throughout the year and you still believe it's like same old Sixers or this is not a serious team, it's like, yes, of course this is a serious team, man, because they have a guy in Joel Embiid who I didn't even think played that great last night, still had 31, 6, and 10. 10 assists, by the way. If Nikola Jokic had that kind of game on national TV, they'd be fawning all over the place. And because James Harden has been a legit number two guy this year. And in last night's game, I know you've been a big Harden guy over the last few months too. 
-hmm. he was essentially the number one guy for that entire fourth quarter. Like that's what you need to, to win a title. Obviously the best player on your team has to be at like such an insanely high level. And it, it all comes down to, to that guy in a lot of ways, but a number two guy, a true number two guy is someone that when the number one dude doesn't have it, he can take the ball and say, I got you. I'm going to go out and win this game. And when you stagger the stars, which is something that I and, you know, thousands of people have been demanding for Doc Rivers to do. But when you stagger these guys and you can have James come in to open fourth quarters and he's the guy who goes out there, leads a a 10 nothing run, essentially, or a run that brings them 10 points closer to Milwaukee. And Joel is coming back at a time when it's a four point game rather than, you know, a double digit game where they're having to launch a bunch of threes and, you know, playoff mm-hmm. script and do all kinds of stuff that the difference that makes a difference in the sense that we have watched them lose playoff series because they can't win minutes or even get even in minutes without Joel Embiid. So yes. having Harden in, in this type of form, the fact that Harden's been able to do this at least semi-regularly this year and that it, that he's, his reads are so good that he does make other guys better and he's able to, like, I just published an article on Philly Voice. That fourth quarter was all about James Harden picking the matchups he wanted and just destroying dudes. Like mm-hmm. Chris Middleton, I brought his name up on the podcast a lot this year that – I think people are maybe taking for granted that he's going to get healthy at some point during the season or or by the end of the season and that that takes Milwaukee up a level. Obviously, they've been on this long win streak. James Harden kicked Chris Middleton's ass that entire fourth quarter. He he brought George Niang over. They set a screen. They got the switch. And James Harden just punked him, like went right through him on the way to the rim over and over and over and over again. And that is the sort of thing we've seen teams do to the Sixers. It's the thing that, you know, they get to the playoffs and they have these exploitable defenders and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and all these guys do it. The Sixers now have a perimeter player who can do that on top of hitting step back threes, on top of, you know, playmaking for other guys. So, like, if you're watching this team and all you see is the same old thing, I, I just I don't know what to tell you at this point. Well, the, the biggest difference between the team this year and last year is James Harden. It's exactly what you just said. It's So I'm watching a game last night, and I'll admit, I'm like an emotional roller coaster guy when I watch games. When they <laughs> fall behind, I'm texting my friends like, this team, why would I ever believe in them? Of course, they're going to lose again. And then when they play great, it's like, James Harden's amazing. Joel Embiid has always been the guy, all those things. So last night, my roller coaster in the third quarter, when they fell behind, I think they almost, it was almost 20 at one point. They fell behind. 18, I think, was the biggest lead for me. Yeah. And I'm I'm watching the game. And to me, it looked like Joel Embiid had his head hung. I felt like bad body language from Joel. And maybe I was projecting my feelings about the game onto him. But I was just looking and saying, Joel Embiid looks like I've seen him look too often when this team has been behind. And I'm not saying that he that he was down and lifted his spirits up. What I'm saying is the difference between this team last year and this year is that last year they don't have somebody to come in and change the game around and help Joel be that guy. Because, I mean, look, let's be honest. Joel's been carrying this team for a long time. I don't even completely blame him for if sometimes he's playing and it's this feeling of, all right, well, I'm going to have to do this again, especially when you're however much he weighs that big, you're tired, it's your third game in five nights or whatever it is. 
it's you have to be i'm sure it's incredibly emotionally exhausting well to that point it was like after the boston game where he hits the insane shot right after the buzzer and he's like yeah it's the story of my life like i get that feeling because that is a thing that he goes through. so i just heard that quote yesterday and i'm not gonna lie i don't love the quote i feel like you could he could do like an entire therapy session on that quote right but but anyway so Embiid looks down the team looks down and the difference is Harden steps up and his fourth quarter numbers are unbelievable. I'm sure you have them since you just wrote the article, but I, uh, I don't often write stats down for the pod, but I had to write these down. So James Harden in the fourth quarter, 19 points, two of four from three, including an unbelievably clutch three that I haven't seen somebody on this team make outside of a lucky, just throw it up three in forever. That's three. He, he hit from like four feet behind the arc. I forget when exactly it was, but it was probably within the final two minutes, three minutes, something like that. Hits that three, right? So 19 points, two of four from three, four assists, two rebounds. I mean, I'm not even saying this to to critique and beat at all. I'm just saying the difference between that game last night and if they play that game last year is they have somebody that can step up. Joel wasn't even bad. Joel in the fourth quarter. Uh, I have him down for, well, in the second half, I should say. 19 points, six assists, three rebounds, two or three from three. Also hit an incredibly cl- clutch three, right? So Joel and that clutch three, by the way, to add on to your point, was because James Harden got the ball late in the clock, blew by Drew Holiday, and found yeah. him wide open at the top of the key. So yeah, just and, and, enhancing and, your point. And that's the difference. The difference is when Joel is maybe entering that space of, oh my God, here we go again. Story of my life. There is now somebody that can pick him up if he needs picked up. And it's okay that sometimes he needs picked up. Not not every great player is great every night. We saw the Celtics blow a big, big lead. We've seen Tatum have games where he only scores a few points and they still win. Sometimes Joel is going to need somebody in a big moment to say, all right, I got you. And Harden was that guy last night. And it's such a huge difference between this team and not just last year, in basically since Joel's been here. Like Jimmy was part of it for a little bit. But Ben was never that guy for all the things he was good at. He was never the let me take the game over when Joel can't do it. Toby's not really that guy. Maxi isn't really that guy in the playoffs. Embiid finally has somebody, and against a great opponent too, that you can look at and say, in the playoffs, if Joel doesn't have it, now I have some faith that Harden can step up or, or you know, he has that guy that can step up and help him. Well, and again, like I think – when you get to the playoffs and the rotation shrinks and James Harden and Joel Embiid are staggered, which I think it's pretty clear that when push comes to shove, Doc is going to stagger these guys so that one of them is on the floor at any given time. We now have a body of work that suggests, like, obviously when Joel is on the floor, they win those minutes. He has won minutes with guys who suck, quite frankly, all throughout his career. So having mm-hmm. a good team where, you know, you have Maxi and Melton and Jalen McDaniels even had a great game off of the bench last night, came up with some big plays down the stretch. Niang rises to the occasion. You have Joel out there, you're going to be fine. But now the fact that you bench Joel and you play those, you know, four to six minutes without him and James can come in and pretty much regardless of who's out there, they're going to mm-hmm. win those minutes. Like, that's the recipe for winning a title. We know that, you know, if you just go back through even Ben's rookie year, the first year that Joel and and Ben play together, the five-man lineup numbers, they have the best five-man lineup in the league that year. Mm -hmm. And historically, like every season, 
when Joel's on the floor, whatever the starting lineup is, right. they're one of the top five to 10 lineups in the entire NBA. The problem has been as soon as you change something and you bring guys in off the bench, it all goes to shit. So the fact that, you know, James is going to be there, that James is going to be the guy steering the ship and leading these guys and scoring and playmaking and doing all this stuff. I don't know how you can look at it and say they don't have a like like a finals championship level ceiling. Like they very clearly James is better than anybody else that Joel has played with. I know Jimmy had some awesome playoff moments and we can say, well, James has to do more in the playoffs than he's shown and, and all that stuff. But James Harden is straight up the best player that Joel has ever played with. And Joel is also the best he's ever been. So those two things being true at the same time, if they rise to the occasion in the playoffs, they absolutely have a chance to beat anybody in the league. And I firmly well, believe that. And you said that uh, Harden's the best player Embiid's ever played with. I know he played with Chris Paul, who is good. I don't remember his stats specifically for Houston. I know they came close to beating Golden State, but I think this version of Joel is probably better than that version of Chris Paul. So you could make the argument, this is the best player. Well, Harden did play with Durant and Westbrook, but that was so far back in the day. I, I would I would stand firm on that. This is the best player that Harden has ever played with as well. So you have two players and Harden's not in his prime, but honestly, like we spend so much, so much time talking about Harden and going, well, he's never going to be the old Harden. I thought these stats from Kevin Nagandi were pretty unbelievable. So last night, James Harden, 26 drives, most in a game since joining the Sixers, and he generated 30 points off of those drives, his most in a game over the last two years. So he was getting to the basket last night and creating offense when he got there. He wasn't just getting there and not able to get elevation to get over the defender. He wasn't getting there and making bad decisions. He was getting to the basket and creating points. He created 18 points off of isolation, right? That's who we remember Harden as. Dribble there, out the ball, score with it. That's what he was doing last night. And then I already said the 19 fourth quarter points. And if you take everything that he's been over the last uh, All-Star break, and this is according to Austin Krell, shout out to Austin, James Harden, since the All-Star break, 26 points, nine assists, six and a half rebounds, 40% on twos, 50% on threes, on eight attempts a game, he has been the whole, the old Harden. And it's not like he's done it for three straight years because you can't be three years in one season. But the player that the Sixers are getting right now is the player that we all grew up watching. And it sounds crazy because he's been in the league a while. But he is the guy that, you know, for the last 10 years of our basketball lives, when you're talking about the best players in the game, you mention Harden. He's the guy that Maury says is the best offensive player of all time. This is the player the Sixers are seeing right now. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I do want to give Joel some love too, right? Because, you know, James was the, the catalyst for that win last night. But as we said, like, it's insane that we I almost felt disappointed watching a game where Joel had 31 points and 10 assists and six rebounds, right? Yeah. And that's the the level or the bar that he has set for himself all throughout this year and the last couple of years. And, 
you know, down the stretch of that game, I think you saw something very important. After Joel was defending Brooke Lopez for a lot of that game, and you can see the problems that that poses for both Joel and the rest of the team because Lopez being a legit floor spacer stretches them out a little bit. And, and so Joel ends up in more scramble situations than I think they want him in. It's a reason why they don't often switch Joel, that it's one through four, and then Joel hangs back because they do want him at the rim as that safety valve. But Doc, toward the end of that game and in some possessions throughout the second half, has Joel defending Giannis. And you know that's something that I think, and especially with Tobias Harris healthy, where I think Tobias holds up fine against somebody like Brooke Lopez in the post. He did it against Marcus Soule mm-hmm. when they played the Raptors in the playoffs years ago. I think putting Joel on Giannis and, you know, picked up a foul and Giannis scored on a couple of possessions late in that game, but that is a difference maker late in games. And I think one thing that people have maybe missed screaming about the team this year is that the Sixers are the second best crunch time team in the league behind Denver and their defense is like Detroit Pistons in 2004 level good in those moments. And a lot of that just comes down to Joel Embiid is not getting scored on in the rim in the final five minutes of games in -hmm. close games. And if you extrapolate that to the playoffs where the game is slower, it is more of a half court game. Like, yes, I, I think there are reasons that Joel contributed to playoff losses in the past, like has not been good enough on offense at times, has needed to be more like himself. But if they have a title level ceiling, a big part of that is because in the style of basketball that is played in the playoffs, his defensive value, which we already know is really high in the regular season, goes to another level in the playoffs. And being able to do something like say, hey, Joel, you're going to guard Giannis in the final five minutes of this game. And the fact that he can do it successfully and junk up what Milwaukee needs to do or wants to do that's a, a huge potential swing factor in a series with these guys. Well, there was a moment in last night's game, and it was in the clutch, to your point, where Joel hits that three, right? It's off the hardened play that we talked about. He hits the three. And I think that, did that put them up one or two? I forget what the exact They're score. They're up by two. I think it was 127, 125 at that point. Okay, so it puts them up five. So it basically puts the game No, up it puts them up two. So it puts them up two. Okay, so it's a big three to put them up late in the game. And then I think it was the next possession he goes down and he's guarding Giannis or was in the last, you know, a a few possessions. And that to me, we spend so much time like talking about the differences between Joel and, and, and uh, Jokic. Uh, And that again, another big moment there. Jokic doesn't really shoot threes, right? So the MB, he's not really hitting. Jokic does shoot threes, but he just doesn't shoot a lot. Well, his, well, but his over. Giannis or Jokic, you might be getting your wires. No, My bad. Jokic, Jokic can shoot. He, Jokic's a great shooter. I, I don't know that the right, volume is there, but... That's my point. He doesn't real. I'm not saying he can't shoot it. He doesn't shoot them. His over-under for games on threes is always 0.5. It's always... Like, we can look it up. I don't think Are he you attempts sure? You might be getting this really wrong. I think, I, I, I'll I look think it up right now. Uh, As somebody that has bet multiple okay, times... On he Jokic only shoots games, two a game. Two a okay, game that's is, my point. his attempts. Okay. So what, what does Embiid shoot? Probably three, three and a half, something like that? This You're quicker. Live, pod, live podcasting at, at its best. Right. Uh, it's, Joel it's shoots suspense. three one a game. 
three. All right, so he takes an, an extra three a game. Regardless, I'm just saying as someone that bets on Jokic threes, it feels like he never hits them. That's just my <laughs> emotional feeling on that, right? So I don't think Jokic attempts that three in that spot. And honestly, I have more faith in Bede makes it than Jokic does. I don't care what the stats say. But then on the next play, he goes down, and the game felt like it was already kind of over at that point. But he Giannis in the post, and he shuts him down. Like, that's who this guy is. And, you know, sometimes I get a little tired of the Jokic and B debate because it is what it is. He's not going to win MVP. And he didn't win it the last two years. Nothing's going to change that. But that was another moment where, and you mentioned the 10 assists, but it's another moment where it's just so clear how much better he is than Jokic. And so I don't know. I just thought it was, a, a once again, another sequence of he hit the three, he played defense, and I don't think Jokic is doing either of those things. I actually think you might be reversing the order of those plays because I think it was that specific stop that you're talking about was before, like immediately before the shot. Okay, so it was Joel stonewalled him. And I mean, the point is the same either way. Joel makes the critical defensive stop on Giannis in the post and then goes down and essentially hits the game winning shot, the most important shot of the well, game I feel, in one I sequence. Feel like my- I feel like that last kind of like ramp by me was in, if in, in school you're taking a math test and you have to show your work. And it's like, I got the final answer right, but my work on but the, the, way the there, path to get there yeah, was. Yeah. The teacher's looking at the test, like, I don't know how you got this right, but ultimately you did. So, yes, I messed that all types of up. But the point is the same. Embiid did two things in the clutch last night that I don't trust Jokic to do. So, and then here's another thing I'll add on to that. Like, I know that these individual games are not the end all be all of MVP races and it's the body of work and all that. But like, at what point do we give Joel a little bit of extra credit for when he plays Giannis and Jokic guy clearly is better than both of them. Like last night was just straight up better than Giannis was. Giannis was like nine for 21. Yeah. Couldn't get it done in crunch time. Is just trying to basically play like a running back because he couldn't do anything other than drive at yeah, Joel's did chest. You those, those calls. What'd I mean, know? look that, but that's the problem with refing Giannis, right? Like he, it's the same thing to a different in a different way. Same problem as refing Joel. It's like they put the pressure on the officials with how physical they play, and they're going to get the benefit of the doubt more often than not. I think they're. Some coin flip calls there. I do think it was an offensive foul, the one that Doc challenged and and didn't win. But I think it was probably worth it regardless. I think Joel got a shaky call immediately after that one. And that felt like Scott Foster being like, yeah, I'll give you that one back because it, it might have been borderline or whatever. It's mm-hmm. the the classic makeup call from yeah. you know a guy who gets respect from the officials. But I, at what point do we say Joel was better than him and beat him, has now beaten Giannis two out of three games this year, beat Jokic with a big comeback that he spearheaded, was the best player on the floor by far that game, clearly was the best player on the floor against Boston. They end up losing that game. But, like, this guy has risen to the moment time and time and time again in a lot of these big games. I know it's not every game. And I know, like, yeah, the Dallas game wasn't great. He still had – 35 points in that game whatever like Mm -hmm. this guy is consistently great and so this idea that he's somehow you know a level away from Jokic like uh, I hate this idea that keeps popping up the Jokic boosters are like he's so much better than Joel on offense and it's like I I don't agree with that (laughs) I mean like I just yeah you can say that he's a more consistent playmate like clearly the best like one of the best playmakers in the league period let alone at center and the efficiency gap is what it is. But as we've talked about on the pod, I think Joel 
the way that he's willing to like live with some tough shots in big moments, I think that's something that great players need to do in the playoffs to win. So I think Joel deserves a lot of credit for that performance. Certainly he was uh, James was the guy in that one, but I think as we have discussed that, that the two-way play was a, a point of separation between him and you know yeah. some of his other peers in the league. I mean, even Maxi, I think, finished with 26 points. And unless I wrote this down wrong in my uh, notes, but he had an outstanding game as well. I have Maxi down in the second half. He had 14 points. So you saw all three guys step up big in the second half. And it's not like they've never had crunch time regular season moments. They absolutely have. All three guys have. Embiid has. They've done it this year. They've done it in past years. So it's not new, I think, to see them step up in big moments and win a game. But let me ask you this as somebody that's, that's around the team a lot. Do you feel like last night can be a moment that can be a jumping off point? Because let's be honest, prior to that game, I know it's a small sample size, but you you split with Miami, right? You lose to Boston, you lose to Dallas. And there's all this talk heading into the stretch, not just from us, but from the players. And I believe Doc and I know Maury in saying this stretch is going to show us who we really are. Like the benefit of a tough schedule is we're going to see where we're at. And that's why I thought last night really mattered. It mattered that they made the plays at the end to win the game. And it wasn't Tatum making the three. And we're not doing the pod saying, well, it was really close. Tatum makes a shot. If he doesn't, whatever. No silver linings playbook for this one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like That's why winning matters, as silly as it sounds. Like That's why winning really matters. We've both been in locker rooms. We've both covered games that are really close and could have gone either way. It just matters when you win at the end. And it sounds really silly, but it just does. Just emotionally, you can see in the players' faces – how much it matters that they are in their locker room winning as opposed to talking themselves into why it was a good performance. So as as big as that win was last night, and I think it was huge, prime time, great team, 16-game winning streak, all those things. How do you think this impacts the team moving forward? Do you think this can be a jumping-off point? So I don't think it's a jumping-off point primarily because this schedule is just so brutal that they're going to have some ups and downs between Mm -hmm. now and the end of the season. But if you're talking big picture, I I think – if you're the Sixers and you look at your body of work at this point, wins over the top two teams in the West. You've beaten Milwaukee twice. Once you did it without Harden, by the way. I know mm-hmm. Middleton didn't play in that game, and there are caveats for Milwaukee too. But you're now up in the season series, and you could potentially win three out of four against Milwaukee if they win the game at the end of the season. At best, or at worst, it's a split, which that's a big deal because there are a lot of people who've been talking lately, like. The Bucs are now the the presumed favorite over the Celtics in the East. So yeah. the fact that they've looked as good as they have against them, the other lo- the loss in the home opener, two point loss that they very well could have won that game too, despite Joel playing poorly. So you look at the body of work and you start adding these games up. They have a big comeback against the Clippers, a big comeback against the Grizzlies, a big comeback against the Nuggets, big comeback against the Bucks. You have all this built up, you know, positivity where. Even when this team, like, I don't think the Sixers played particularly well last night. Grayson Allen scores like 20 points in the third quarter. It looks like the game is going off the rails. Joel struggling a little bit with Brooke Lopez. Harden at that point is shooting kind of poorly and had lost his way a little bit in the middle portion of that game. And I think in years past, the expectation from from us, from the fans, from a lot of other people is, well, they're just going to fold. Like, this game's yeah. over. And there are a lot of people last night on Twitter, third quarter, like, so this is not a serious basketball team. They're not trying, which I didn't agree with, by the way. I think the effort was there throughout last night. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, They were getting outplayed. 
And I was so it. close. I was so close in the third last night to tweeting. They have no chance to win this game to the point where when they were making their comeback, I checked my Twitter to make sure I didn't actually tweet it. Like I was feeling that as well. I thought there was no shot they were winning that game, dude. And so, at what point for everybody watching these games do you have to say we've seen them do this over and yeah. over? Well, they are not that, uh, like they have the most 15 plus point comebacks or something like that for wins in the league. Yeah. yeah. And that was another one last night. They were down 18. They win that game. At some point you have to look at this team and say, they are just more resilient than they have been in the past. And again, so much of that just comes down to their top two guys are just better than they have been in the past. Joel is better. James has been great, but this team has a now to your point, they're building this collective belief that they're not out of games. Like even if Joel is frustrated or drops his head at a given moment, that's not the end of the game. Like they have shown the ability to bounce back from tough runs to play themselves out of shooting slumps. I mean, George Niang, we haven't brought his name up once first half of that game. People are yelling and screaming like this guy shouldn't play. And like, look, I actually agreed at that point. He was getting absolutely toasted on defense. Looked like he had no prayer to do anything helpful in that game. Couldn't hit a shot. Fourth quarter of that game, he's maybe their third most important player. Hits Yeah, he's four or five from three in the second half or something like he that. He hits four big shots. You know, he's and the important thing with Niang in that matchup is that the Bucks love to use Giannis to roam off of his guy. And, you know, if Tucker is in that spot instead of Niang, for example, which we can get to Tucker and Tobias potentially being hurt and what's yeah, going to happen with them. Yeah, I didn't want to kill but, the vibe. But the because Niang is in in that spot, you can't use Giannis as a roamer off of him. Because if you do, that guy's a very good shooter. And more often than not, I know not lately, but more often than not, he's going to punish you for doing that. Mm-hmm. And so that makes the middle of the floor more open for James to, to have these drives and you know find shooters when the defense collapses on him. So – all the different pieces come together here. Like this is not a a two man show in a lot of these comebacks. Like they have needed each other and the whole unit to put this all together. As I said earlier, Jalen McDaniel stepping up in a big spot. He hits yeah. three three huge free throws. Played some great defense on Drew Holiday. The putback dunk on the the Joel miss at one point in the final five minutes of that game. They're getting little contributions from lots of different guys in different ways in fourth quarters of games. And so I just, I, I think this team ha- has impressed me in a lot of big moments this year. I'm not saying they're perfect or that they are, they're going to beat the Celtics if they play them in the playoffs or that they'd even beat the Bucks for sure if they play them. But they, I think they should be inspiring confidence in people that, yeah, it's different. And yeah, they're not just going to lay down when it, when things get tough in the playoffs. Right. So last night after the game, uh, me and Kristen watched uh, Chris Rock's special selective outrage. And maybe at the end of the pod, we can talk about that. But the reason yeah. I thought about that while you were going was I think sometimes there is extreme like selective outrage on when you want to like label a coach something and when you want to give them credit for something. Because to your point about them fighting back, right? We don't believe, or I, I'll speak for myself. I don't believe they have it in them to fight back. And why? It's because I don't view them as a team that tries hard. And who catches the blame for that? Doc Rivers. But if we want to look at the facts, if if it was a coach that people liked, right, we would sit here and go, they play hard for Doc, and it's evident by the fact that they make a ton of fourth-quarter comebacks. I've covered Eagles teams with Doug Peterson. 
where they made fourth quarter comebacks and they were really good in December. And it was, well, Doug's a great coach and they play hard for him. And what a great culture they have. It's the exact same thing. The Sixers consistently come back in these games. If people like Doc Rivers, right? And the 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 narrative would be, man, they play hard for this guy. Look at it. It's selective. Like you, you, you pick and choose based off how you feel about the guy, how you want to give him credit. So I think your point about why people don't believe that they're going to come back, me included, is probably related to Doc somewhat. And it's not fair. I think it's probably time we actually embrace ourselves as a pro Doc Rivers podcast. Do you think? Do you think I, we so could? I won't go that far because I had my gripes with him last night. But to your point, I, I think there's there's a lot of nuance lost because everyone just wants to. This is the guy to blame, or this is the reason they right. lost this game. Instead of well, it, it's a lot of things happening all at the same time. Where I, I've used the analogy before, but it's so hard to compare basketball and football or treat it the same when football every play is a structured designed play right it's a stoppage between each play the coach calls it into the quarterback or the coordinator calls it into whoever the defensive captain is and they set up how they set up right whereas in basketball you're going six minutes at a time where it's free-flowing action and it's it's on the guys in the middle of the floor to figure things out and so it's just hard for a coach to like moment to moment be like, well, I'm, we got to stop this. Like, but at the same time, if you look at all these fourth quarter comebacks and you see the Sixers making adjustments again, like Joel being on Giannis, if you want to argue, he should have been defending him for longer periods of that game or from the start of the game to avoid the Brooke Lopez problem. I think that's an argument you could make, but then doc is also rewarded for it. People want to bench George Niang. Why is he on the floor? Why is he doing yeah, this? Why is he doing that? Doc sticking with his guy and empowering him and saying, I don't give a shit that you're in a slump. You're one of our shooters and you're a valuable piece in this matchup. And George Niang rewards him for that. Like part of coaching is getting guys out of those slumps and empowering them with the confidence. Like this is what I was talking about recently with Maxi. With Maxi having bad games, it was, well, Doc ruined him and it's his fault. And why is yeah. he playing? Why is he ben- coming off the bench? By the same token, if you believe that, then Doc deserves like 50% of the credit for George Niang having that quarter because a lot of other people would have said, Daniel House Jr. had a good game on Wednesday. Niang should be out of the rotation and can't play against these guys. Meanwhile, Doc says, no, this is a guy that I want to get out of this you know, tough stretch that he's in. And he plays his way out of it. He's a critical piece of getting that win last night. So we can't just like every game is a referendum on Doc made this decision and he should be fired because of that. Like, yeah, he's not perfect. And I think there are a lot of things like, again, the staggering in the first half that he didn't do. I didn't like that. That sort of stuff in the playoffs will matter more. And those little small micro decisions that Doc's made that Doc makes will absolutely play a huge role in whether they're able to win a title or not. So but I think people really miss the big picture with this guy. A so lot of the time. It, it'll play a role for sure. But I actually think if you look, I mean, last year's Sixers team is kind of a perfect example, right? Nick Nurse in the first round. Everybody's like bending over for him. Oh, he's such an amazing coach. What a great guy, blah, blah, blah. They lost in six to that team, right? Why? Because he doesn't have any really great players on that roster. If you look in the past years, right? Doc has lost to probably coaches that are without question worse than him, right? But the difference is, 
in past years, his players haven't stepped up. And the difference in the game last night is not, again, that, you know, Doc took him beat out with one minute to go in the second quarter or that, to your point, like he didn't adjust quick enough. The difference in last night's game is that Embiid and Harden were awesome, like point blank period. That's what it's going to come down to. So you're right that there's going to be moments in the playoffs that will be high impact moments where Doc's going to have to make the right decision. But those high impact moments will be directly created by how well Embiid and Harden play. Like if Embiid and Harden play like they did last night, and I know it's unfair to expect that. They were like the first teammates in forever to do what they did. So you're not going to get that every night. But those two players are capable of it. If those two players play to their potential, Doc really won't matter. There will be moments that will matter. But ultimately, if Embiid and Harden play to their best potential, we're not going to be sitting here at whenever the playoffs end and go, well, Doc, blah, blah, blah. No, it'll be like if Embiid and Harden are great, then, then it won't really matter what Doc does to an extent. I'm not completely diminishing it, but to an extent. I mean, dude, it's always the players. It always has been, and it yeah. always will be. There are, like, I'm making these numbers up on the fly here. But to me, love it. Love there it. are maybe, any given season, there are maybe three to five legitimate difference-making coaches in the entire league. Well, then there's probably Popovich. people love Popovich. The Spurs have been terrible I was, for years. And that was <laughs> the point I was going to make. Like Greg Popovich, Hall of Fame coach, awesome basketball yeah. mind. Like it deserves every piece of credit that he's ever gotten is awesome. Doesn't have the players in San Antonio and they suck. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're irrelevant That's, for years, by the way, too. Not like one year. Does, like straight up does not matter. Doesn't have the players, doesn't have the horses like that. That's the reality of the yeah. NBA. You don't have the talent or your talent doesn't step up. You are not going to win. It just doesn't matter. And so I get like, look, because the Sixers have the talent, I understand why people are so focused on the head coach, right? Because they don't want to see an opportunity wasted because of the head coach. And look, we might get to the playoffs and Doc makes bad decisions and screws up and they're still over helping off of three point shooters and they're not staggering and, you know, go on down the list of, of the potential concerns you have with doc, or maybe for no reason at all with Paul Reed playing well, Montrez Harrell comes back in the rotation, and, right. you know, everybody loses their minds, whatever the issue is. If we get to that point, we can criticize doc and say, yes, he played a role in this loss and, and them going out early, whatever it is. But until then, I don't think it is worth a lot of time and energy to just be angry about the coach all the time because the single biggest driving force of every game is Joel Embiid. Number two is James Harden. And those guys are ultimately going to decide if the Sixers are a title winning team or just the same old team that they've been. And look, as I've been saying throughout this podcast and across many episodes this year, they have been those guys. They look like they can be those guys. They have to do it against Boston, which is now like the, the last hurdle, I guess they have to clear before the season ends, but mm -hmm. against everyone else. And really for basically this entire season, they have met every challenge that has come their way. So you started the pod taking a bit of a victory lap and it is a victory pod. So we can all take our, our various victory laps, but I think you deserve another one and I'll start the lap for you. Starting Maxi was absolutely the right call. On the last pod, we debated this, and I was I was on the fence. I wasn't saying don't start him, but I think last night showed why starting him was the right call. As great as Embiid was, as great as Harden was, and they were unbelievable. 
the fact that Maxi was as good as he was is also a big reason why they won the game, right? Players win the game. And Maxi was great. Maxi, first of all, his ability to finish around the rim is incredibly impressive. I'll do like a hyperbolic Sunday morning thing. It's a little Kyrie-like in how he's able to control. <laughs> oh, I would not go that far. I'm, I'm going there, man. I'm going there. Why not? It's Sunday morning. His ability to finish around the rim when he's going so fast and is able to like not slow down, but he he's like still moving past the basket a lot of times when he finishes is incredibly impressive. And I think that ultimately, you know, defense, I want to ask you about the Sixers defense for the next kind of question, but Maxi related, I think last night showed, I mean, the Bucks had, I think I saw on Twitter, I didn't check before the game, the number one defense in the NBA going into the game, maybe. And it just didn't matter. Why? Because offense matters more than defense. It just flat out does. And when Maxi is playing like that and the Sixers have a third guy, it's huge. And I think that while we can debate what's better in terms of him coming off the bench and Melton and PJ and Toby and all those things, the team is at its best and at another level when Maxi's playing with confidence. And if he's going to have more confidence in the starting lineup, then I think you have to do it and just chalk up the defense and not worry about the guard stuff because they need Maxi. They don't need 26 points from him every night, but they need him to be that guy for them to win. So I want to tell you my favorite stat from the entire game last night. Eight free throw attempts for Tyrese Maxey. Wow. The difference between him when he's taking those, he's living on runners and floaters, and Tyrese when he's getting downhill and playing physical basketball and going to the rim and forcing the officials to make calls is night and day for me. Like there was a play last night where Jay Crowder, who he is Tyrese has given up a lot of size and strength. Yeah. He gets Jay Crowder and he just drove his shoulder into Jay Crowder's chest and, and Jay Crowder is forced to take a foul. And that's the element of his game that has gone missing at times that I, the one big point of emphasis from the coaching staff, this has been from Tyrese rookie year onward. They have told him, we don't want to see those runners. We want to see your hand get to the glass. And what they're saying is we want to see you shooting layups and getting contact instead of, you know, when you take a runner, he's really good at those types of shots, but you're, you're relying on a high difficulty shot and you're most of the time not going to get fouled on this place. Right. So in a high difficulty shot situation, it's, are you hitting those on any given night? And he can hit a lot of them. Right. But if he isn't, then his offensive value goes down the tubes. So the fact that he was able to get to the line as much as he did last night against, again, a great defensive team. Like I, I don't know if they're number one in the league now. I know they've been one or two for, you know, quite a bit right now. Elliot, I think you're muted by the way. Oh, now you're not coming through. Oh man. Production issues over here. It says you're not muted, but I think I got it. Now you got me. There you go. Now I can all hear right. you. It, all this really derailing the podcast today between well, dude, the, let me tell the you, Jokic shooting cough. and I know, I know. So I, I had to cough, and I'm like, well, I don't want to throw Kyle off, so I'll mute it. But really, I should have just coughed and not muted the mic. But anyway, continue. We'll live with God, I think going anyway. into the game, they were the number one defense. Yeah. So I mean, Tyrese makes two threes last night shot two of five 40 percent from three which that also helps all of that when he's got it all going and, and you don't have a single way to 
to load up on him. Like you can't sag off him, but you also can't play too far up on him. And he's really killing you in transition. Like that was the big takeaway I had looking through the lineup numbers and things when I wrote that piece on Tyrese is that their transition game is so much better when he's on the floor and playing with that starting lineup because when they get a rebound, he is just out and he's scoring so many of those, like as you mentioned, where he's still at basically 95% of top speed as he's in the process of finishing and he's still putting the English on it to score the basketball. That on a team where they are a little bit slow and plotting at times <laughs> yeah, a little to, bit. Add, to, <laughs> to add that dimension is a really critical component for this team. And, you know, I, I don't think they were particularly good on defense late in that game, but honestly, I didn't think any of that really had to do with Maxi. It was just a lot of Milwaukee executing well and putting them in some tough situations. So if you're not suffering on defense because of it, there's basically no argument to have Melton in over Maxi because Maxi mm-hmm. is just a superior offensive player. So I have one more big picture question that's not related to the game. So do you have anything else on the game that, you know, a note you had or something we didn't get to? And we've, we've hit main, I thought a lot of the main pieces. But well, anyway. we could say like, you could argue that the big thing coming out of that game, bigger than the result or the performance oh, or totally is, is if Tobias and PJ are healthy. Like, right, I, What do you know about that? What do you think? Give me your, your opinion on that. I haven't honestly even really checked in on it yet. That's right. something that is probably going to happen at some point today. Um, and they play, again, the, the NBA schedule being so unforgiving. They play tomorrow night and Tuesday. So yeah, there's so. just no let up. Like the, this is just the relentlessness of the 82 game season. Um, it... Uh, if they miss any time, like even if it's just a game or two, it'll be a good way to expose McDaniels and, and maybe get some guys like house minutes just to, but they're not as good as Tobias and PJ, like straight up. I, I know PJ didn't shoot well last night and that was a problem. And you could argue in a weird way that him leaving that game honestly helped them just because you know, having the additional shooting out there was more valuable than what he brought defensively. But I do think you saw in that game, even in a tough night for PJ, he can make a difference against Giannis. Like Giannis was having a tough game, at least going into the second half, that PJ was making him work at times, and he's making some good off-ball plays. Tobias not really having that much of a game, but the versatility that he brings on offense is always valuable. And the more you need to rely on someone like Jalen McDaniels, who, again, I, I like well enough, had a good game, and, and thrust this guy into like a, if not a starter level role, then at least like a high minute role. That's mm-hmm. putting a lot of pressure on a guy who was playing for the Charlotte Hornets as yeah, of like a month ago. So regardless of what you think of Tobias and PJ, they cannot really afford for those guys to get hurt because the more size and, and experience and, and versatility that you lose, the harder it's going to be to get through this month. Like even if it's not, a playoff level, like serious injury, but it's just, they're going to miss time in March. This is a month where they have no margin for error. Even when they're playing bad teams, they're playing bad teams in back-to-backs and on the road. And during these stretches of the schedule where they're gone for, you know, a week and a half, two weeks at a time. So they, they got to hope that these are, are not serious injuries. And that's something we'll find out in the days and weeks to come. 
So I know it's 11 a.m. on a Sunday and the game ended late. So they probably don't even know anything yet. And I completely understand you don't, you, you haven't been able to check in on it yet. But yeah. if you wanted to just for a second, maybe guess, like, do you think there's reason to concern that this could be long term? Or do you think we're probably looking at maybe they miss a week, but this isn't, oh my God, they have to figure out how to live life without either of these two? I guess we're going to find out. Like, I don't want to speculate or, or say anything too much yet. I just wanted to make sure that we brought it up and discussed yeah, yeah. it a little bit because it, it is a, a big thing coming out of that game. For sure. All right. So the last big picture question I had, not specifically related to the game last night, but just in general. And I'm asking this. This is like me putting on my big J host hat because, you know, I don't care about defense. But let me ask you, it feels like we've done a lot of postgame pods recently. Maybe it's because they're playing better teams or a lot of pods about games where we say, man, they got a lot of open shots or man, they, the other team hit a lot of threes and late they, they, they did shut down late, but through a lot of that game, they were getting a lot of open threes. They were hitting a lot of open threes. I'm curious, like, do you think the Sixers defense is it is as good as people think it is? Or do you think it's because we know they can play great defense? We've painted that way. Like, where are you at with the defense? Cause obviously the offense was awesome last night, but where are you at with the defense? So I think if we were to say, if you were to say, like, look, I think they're the eighth, seventh or eighth best defense in the league mm -hmm. on the season. I think that's probably inflated a little bit. I think their ceiling is higher than that. And I think they've shown that at times. I think as we brought up with the uh, the crunch time numbers, I think that says a lot about where they can get to. And, and maybe it's more indicative of who they are in a, a playoff style setting where they can be more physical and look like I think James is not a good defender. I think the the off ball stuff is what it is. I think he had some bad errors last night, but I think as far as like who the playoffs benefit, he's definitely a guy that he can get away with. He's leaning on people and using his strength. And I think he even still last night had some good possessions where he's on bigger guys in the post and he does a good job with dealing with yeah. that. And he can at least keep guys in front of him. And then you have Joel anchoring things at the rim. And you have PJ, who obviously has the body work he does. Melton now coming off the bench adds a bit of chaos in the way that, that Thibel used to. So, And Paul Reed, who I brought up briefly earlier, I think has looked pretty damn good. Like I know Giannis scored on him a bunch last night, but made a bunch of energy plays on offense and is making a lot of doing the little things that I think someone like him needs to do on top of He's not really fouling as much lately. Like the discipline has been better. Mm -hmm. And so if you get that version of Reed and then you can load up on offense elsewhere in the lineup on those bench teams, I think that makes a big difference for them. So I, I do think the defense is pretty good. I don't think it's great. I think it has a great ceiling. Um, the thing that bothers me, and I've brought this up before, is the overhelping off the of shooters. Like I, I think they need to trust guys are going to be able to contest a guy who's driving better than they do. And you see, like, it's everybody on the team. So I, I think at this point we probably can say this is more of a coaching adjustment that needs to be made. Because when I'm seeing somebody like P.J. Tucker, who been lauded as one of the, the smartest, like, best help defenders in the league, or somebody like DeAnthony Melton – who is we know is a good defender, maybe not on guards, but is a, a good defender overall. And those guys are cheating off of, of good shooters to help on drivers that are mostly contained. I don't really know what they're trying to accomplish other than 
this is what the game plan is. It's so like if you're asking me what my game. big concern is, like they're giving up too many open threes and they're giving up too many open threes on self-inflicted errors specifically, right? Like team shoots the lights out or you have great players making shots. Like, okay, whatever, you live with that. Mm-hmm. I think there was a blend of that in the Dallas game where they did have some problems of their own. And then Dallas got in such a zone that if Kyrie is pulling up from 35 with a hand in his face and he's still making shots, that's at the point where you say, all right, great players are going to make great plays. Like That happened for the Sixers on offense last night, right? Yeah. James killed Middleton for a lot of that game. And then Middleton has a great defensive possession on him and James just shoots him out of the possession. Like It's a big-time shot. So it is a mix of they need to get some things right. They got to hope for good shooting luck. But I would say overall I'm positive. And the thing that I'm heartened by the most lately is that if you're asking me – if I feel good about James Harden's effort on a consistent basis, I think it's been better. And so I think you can see they're starting to dial it up. Like these guys are taking things more seriously. Maybe the results aren't there. Maybe the execution isn't there at times, but I can see the vision for when it's game six on the road or game seven on the road somewhere I can see them being a team that can get stops when it matters. Yeah, and maybe they're doing that because the playoffs are coming up, the, po- the opponents are better, so you see more effort. Where I fall down on it, on the defenses, I just think it's an effort thing. I'm not saying there's no scheme involved. Clearly there's, excuse me, clearly there's scheme involved, but to me it just feels like in the playoffs, in the big moments, if this team tries, you have Joel, you have PJ, who, again, in big moments in the playoffs, this will be where he earns pretty much his whole salary. Like the fi- like the fourth quarter where they need him to be good against Giannis in a big game, he can earn his entire salary in that series by playing good defense. I don't even care what he does the first 82 games of the year, right? He can earn it all there. So I do think the defense, to your point, when you have Joel as the center, it really is just the perimeter defense and making sure you clean that up. And look, you just have to hope come playoff time that uh, that they get it done. So, all right. I feel like when they win, there's not as a there's there's ne- there's never the hour and fifteen minute pod when they win because there's not as much to complain about. But well, I did also think- it's just like we only need to really cover one game this time, yeah. right? That was the big game, and it gets the big conversation that it deserves. Yeah. So they have, as you mentioned, we'll wait, I guess, for an update on Tobias and uh, and PJ. So who knows? Maybe later today, by the time you're listening to this, this could already be out. We're recording this on a Sunday morning. They play Monday night. Like, give me the what's coming up with this team they're playing indiana and then they have national tv back-to-back against minnesota on tuesday i don't remember the rest of the week aside from that i can just again this is the beauty of live podcasting elliot i can just pull <laughs> things up as we go so away from the next two things though right both of the next two games are away and then they are home against portland on friday so they get a couple of days, uh, they get a travel day and then an and off then day, home, which yeah. is nice. And then they're home against Washington and then they're right back on the road. So nice. four Plenty games this week. Yeah, four games this week. I would say this is probably the, if it's not the softest part of the remaining schedule, it, it's up there. Uh, the schedule is not easy in the sense that Indiana, Minnesota back to back will be slightly tough especially because they've had a lot of games recently, but well, and a more live podcasting. I'm looking up the standings as we speak, but 
I think they're in an interesting uh, spot with the standings where, so they're four games out of first place and three and a half back of number two. So they're probably not going to be a top two seed. Anything could happen. I'm not ruling it out, but mathematically, I would think the chances they finish top two are slim. They're two and a half against uh, ahead of the Cavs. So maybe if things really fall apart and the Cavs play great, you slip to four. But they're in a weird spot where they're not really going to move. Like, they're probably going to be the three seed. I would think there's a better than 50-50% chance, if not like 65-35, that they're going to be the three seed. So ultimately, while I think these games matter and you have to win to maintain that you're the three and not slip to the to the four, and the Knicks are playing great, but I'd be surprised if they actually if the Knicks actually pass the Sixers. But that's why I think last night, you know, you can make the argument it didn't really matter because they're going to be the three seed. But I think these games matter just to see them play great, to continue to play great. So, you know, these, this easy part of the schedule, yeah, they, they should rack up wins so you don't want against the hard teams. But they're probably just going to be the three seed at the end of the day. Yeah, and so, I mean, really the big question is who separates between Boston and Milwaukee? Because yeah. if they end up playing Boston in round two, it's going to be just take apocalypse. In oh, it's going to be unbelievable. Uh, I so, mean, I, look, I would be really excited to see either one of those series. And if the Sixers have the season that they're capable of having, we might get both of them back to back, which would be yeah. just absolutely incredible. I, I mean, having to go through both of those teams just to get to a finals would be insane. Well, they're probably going to have to, right? Is there a way where they I, I mean, it's almost or? certain. Yeah. I mean, yeah. unless you think that Cleveland is capable of beating one of Boston or Milwaukee in a series. I, I don't Which see I don't any. believe. Yeah. And I don't think the Knicks, Nets, or Heat are going to. Uh, I mean, here's what I would say. The one thing, the one potential monkey wrench is that if Boston is the one and Cleveland is the four, I do think Cleveland has played Boston really tough this year. I don't know what the actual record is for those teams in those mm-hmm. games, but I do think that they pose some interesting problems in that. They're super big inside the same way that the Celtics are. They have a obviously a dynamite scorer in Mitchell. Now, I think in a playoff series, Tatum and Brown probably punish the fact that Mitchell and Garland are small. Yeah. Um, I mean, Mitchell has actually been pretty good on defense this year. I should give him credit for that because he's been sort of apathetic on that end mm-hmm. <laughs> over the last few years in Utah. Um, it does help when you have both Jared Allen and Evan Mobley roaming behind you at all times. Right. But, well, he did have, what's his face? Rudy Gobert. Yeah, but having one guy versus having both is uh, it's slightly yes, two different. Is better than one. I won't fight yeah. you on that one. <laughs> um, so I do think that's a that's an interesting wrinkle. I don't think Cleveland beats them for the reasons we've discussed. Like, they're too young, and I, I just don't quite buy them yet. But I, look, look, I don't think it's impossible. But to your point, I think, end of the day, if they want to go to the finals, they're going to have to beat, honestly, the teams that I think are the two. If if you're just ranking NBA teams, I think Boston and Milwaukee are the top two, probably. Like, yeah. they have deserved, they earned that right. So the fact that the Sixers have beaten one of the top two teams twice this season and then beat Denver once, please enjoy this team, everyone, or at least try to. Like, you don't need to have an existential crisis after every loss or – Come out with the pitchforks for Doc Rivers after every loss. Like, you can just watch this team say Joel Embiid is one of the five best players in basketball, that James Harden is close to Houston Rockets, James Harden. Hey, he's probably one of the top 10 players. That 
this is a version of the team that can win the title. Maybe they don't, maybe they do, but try to have some fun watching basketball. One last question. So we talked about Harden and Jane, like being Houston Harden. If Harden doesn't have an Embiid on his roster, like let's say he's on the Rockets and I, I get the whole, you could stat pad on a bad team. Do you think this version of Harden could average over 30 points? Because I think what we're seeing from him, his, as good as his numbers are, they would be even better. I mean, it's really, really hard to score a ton of points when you also have a guy that's competing for the most points in the league. So the fact that he's still putting up these points, I think if you remove Embiid, and good news, they don't have to, but if you did, Harden would be you know, 28 points a game, if not like 31 points a game. If his sole purpose was to score, I think he could absolutely score – and not the rate he was in Houston because he was getting like 37 a game, I think, for one year. But he ultimately would be able to score at a much higher rate than he is now. I don't think he could get to 30, mostly because I, I think he is – this is sort of ideal for him that he can be like the counter puncher or the number two guy Good where yeah, I guess there, the are, there are just nights where he's not going to have the same lift. or or That's like true. He has since the All-Star break has been awesome. And if he shoots – He's not going to shoot 50% on threes the rest of the on year. Eight attempts but he is like, for right the there. season, he's over 40%. So yeah. we he's can't like, sit yeah. here and be like, well, it's it right now, this last like five games or whatever is unsustainable. But um, for the season, he, this this is who James has been. He's been an awesome shooter. So yeah. I do think he's benefiting from having like the, the other guy is the high usage, high volume just throw him the ball and he's going to get it done guy. And mm -hmm. so I think it'd be a lot tougher for him. Well, it's obvious it'd be a lot tougher for him to score 30 a game now than it was when he was in his, you know, absolute physical prime. But to your point, the fact that we can ask this question and say, you know, James is good enough that he's been capable of this is he's had two games. He's played two games against Milwaukee this year. He played absolutely incredible. in both of them was basically the only reason they had a chance in the home opener and carried them in the fourth quarter of this game yeah. on Saturday night. So I think all James Harden related optimism is warranted. I think he has been great. I can't believe he didn't make the all-star team as a reserve. Like that is looking dumber and dumber the deeper we dumber, get into yeah. this season. Um, and so look, God deserves his credit for everything he's done this year. Once again, has to do it in the playoffs, has to deliver when it matters. But up to this point, I think this is like maybe like the 99th percentile outcome of what we could have <laughs> hoped for from him coming into the year. Like I, I think everyone was guarded about what he would look like, even if yeah. even among the optimists. I don't think people were like, oh, he's going to be able to get to this level. No, this season. 100% so. no. And I'll say yeah. this. We, we ended the last pod. I saying like they got to win in Milwaukee. Must win game. And they did it. My thought going into these next two games is, you know, of course you want to see them win. You want to see them play well. I, I'm giving them, you know what? Last night earned them a poor effort game. I'm, I'm okay with it. One night. They get one night of poor nah, effort. Uh, you could sell me on a, you could, a loss would be okay. One out of, like if you split these last two to end the road trip, I think that's a good road trip. Well, yeah. It's an okay road trip because the Dallas performance was eh, was but. bad. Yeah, they won in Mil they won in Miami. They won in Milwaukee. If they yeah, I guess in the splitting. I'm just saying, I think they earned themselves a little bit of slack 
after for, for last night. I think last you night was say a- that, and then they're down ten in the second half. To oh, don't worry, yeah, I'll be tweeting. Or absolutely melting down. So. Absolutely. All right, so they play Monday night, Tuesday night, which feels like probably a Wednesday pod is where is where this is leaning. Um, so until then, we will talk to you guys next time. Thank you again for the people who have been leaving reviews. Much appreciated. Makes my day when we get a new five star review. So if you're still listening, if you've been enjoying the pod, it helps the pod out to get these reviews just in general. Um, and we will be back on a, a Wednesday morning. So Kyle, I will, uh, I will talk to you next time. See you guys soon.